2: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay. Plus taxes and fees. Phone fees 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. CT Mobile.com. Home and home.
0: Today is February 11th, 2020. What happened? exactly 30 years ago today well arguably the greatest upset in the history of sports happened it sounded like this on hbo sports
2: it's over It's over! mike tyson has been knocked out unbelievable this makes cinderella look like a sad story what buster douglas has done here tonight let's go ahead and call it biggest upset in the history of heavyweight championship fights. Say it now, gentlemen. James Buster Douglas, undisputed heavyweight champion of the world.
0: That was Jim Lampley, HBO Sports, 30 years ago today. Let's talk to a man who's the director of 42 to 1, ESPN's incredible 30 for 30 documentary on the fight that happened that night that rocked the world. Jeremy Schaff in a uh, multiple- Emmy Award-winning reporter and a fantastic-looking gentleman,
2: Westport's finest. Yeah. Oh. Good to
0: talk to you, Jeremy Shap. How are you, my friend?
2: You're you're full of it, Dave. But thank you. I appreciate all <laughs> all those nice things. <laughs> so, How Jeremy, doing, was it? Uh, we're good, man. It's it's Dave and Ross
0: Tucker's here. Was it to you the greatest upset in the history of sports?
2: Yes, I mean. it, it I I better feel that way after spending so much time uh, doing stories on the 20th anniversary, the 25th anniversary. And then last year with the 30th anniversary around the corner uh, uh, working on that documentary 42 to one, the 30 for 30 about it. To me, it is just, you know, it's the greatest upset in sports history. Um, You know, there there are different ways, of course, that we can define our terms, but to me um, based on, what people's expectations were for that fight and who Mike Tyson was at that moment in time. You have to put yourself back in early 1990 and uh, think about how big Tyson was. He was the biggest sports star on the planet. He was 23 years old. I think at that point he was 37 and 0 with 17 first round knockouts um, there were a lot of people, smart people, you know, not, not, not dilettantes who thought at that moment in time he had already demonstrated he was the greatest uh, prize fighter who had ever lived. And Buster Douglas, you know, it's interesting, too. I mean, we could go on. You know, it, it wasn't a fluke. It wasn't a one-punch knockout. 42-1 to one is unheard of in a heavyweight championship fight because we always say one punch can change anything with the big guys. But it wasn't a one-punch fight. He dominated him. He won arguably every round other than the eighth in which he got knocked down. So, uh, yes, biggest upsets.
1: Jeremy, great to talk with you. Big fan. I, I did watch um, the documentary, thought it was fantastic. Um, one part I forget about it that I, I wanted you to refresh my memory. You know, growing up, this is – I was born in 79, right? So Tyson was – when I was really into it, playing the video game, the whole deal. And I remember how big of a deal all his fights were, Spinks and all that stuff, and we all watched. But something tells me that the the, the Buster Douglas fight was like at midnight in Japan or something really weird. And I'm curious. It, it was you, in the afternoon that in Japan. So that, well,
2: what happened was, so it was actually fought uh, lunchtime in Japan so that it could be seen late prime times in the U.S. It was on regular HBO. I think the fight started, I think it was noontime in Tokyo. So it was like 11 p.m. on the East Coast on a Saturday night. And the point was having the fight in Tokyo, uh, Tyson had actually fought in the first event at the New Tokyo Dome a couple of years earlier against Tony Tubbs. And he had a global following, and he had an especially large following in Japan. And nobody, as, as John Johnson, uh, Buster Douglas's manager, says in our documentary, no one would pay one cent to see Mike Tyson fight Buster Douglas in the United States of America. Uh, in Japan, Don King's thinking was there was still enough interest in Tyson that it didn't matter who his opponent was. So that's why it's kind of it's weird atmosphere in the tokyo dome because it's a sunday afternoon um and it's very quiet uh it's it's extremely quiet and the japanese crowd isn't quite sure of how to react because they're watching something well not only that they didn't expect it no one expected which was buster douglas taking the fight to mike tyson from the very first few seconds of it but back home you could watch it on regular HBO, but most people weren't paying any attention. It was, you know, a winter Saturday night, uh, and it was late, and uh, there was no buzz for this fight because everyone fully expected Tyson to walk all over Buster Douglas.
1: Yeah, that's kind of how I remember it, Jeremy. And then the other question, which I think is a difficult one to answer, but, and mm. I know, and you and I both know it's a try. combination. <laughs> you and I both know it's a combination of both. But if it's a if it's a pie full of blame or credit, how much of this is blame for Tyson and his training and how he entered the fight, and how much of it is credit that goes to Buster Douglas? Is it fifty-fifty each, or do you give one side or the other more of the credit or blame? Well,
2: as you say, you know,
1: the way I answer that question, Russ, is here. Here's a.
2: Here's what a champion is obligated to do, right? He's obligated to show up, and he's obligated to prepare for the fight. Mike Tyson didn't think anyone was worthy of being in the ring with him. Now, if he had been fighting Evander Holyfield that night, who was in the crowd, and you know, that was going to be the next fight, the mega fight, do so I think Mike Tyson would have approached it differently? Yes. But we have this, this tendency to make excuses for you know, Tyson when he wasn't out of shape, he was 23 years old he didn't have a cold you could make a lot more excuses for buster douglas what he was going on uh what was going on in his personal life at that point his mother died 3 weeks earlier the mother of his son uh had, was seriously sick as well there were a lot of bad things going on in his life he used all those things uh to motivate him to inspire him i i, I mean i'm not saying you're doing this but you know <laughs> You could you could always say you know did did Lennox Lewis show up when he was fighting Oliver McCall and Hasim Rothman and lost those fights? No. no, but that's you know that's the obligation. And if Buster had lost, nobody would have been making excuses for him that his head was in another place or this or that or whatever it might be. Um, did, did Mike Tyson, uh, you know, sleepwalk through his training? It looked like he was in pretty good shape. He was sparring, you know, uh, regularly. Uh, but there's no question, you're absolutely right, that Mike Tyson did not take Buster Douglas seriously. But again, he didn't take anybody seriously. I don't know if it was a Bonecrusher Smith seriously or Tony Tucker seriously or Tony Dubbs. That was who Mike Tyson was. That was part and parcel of his invincibility and that aura of invulnerability. When everybody thinks you're untouchable, you start to believe it yourself.
0: Talking to Jeremy Schapp, 11 time Emmy winner, outside the lines, host, director of 42 to 1. Incredible doc on the fight if you haven't seen it. Uh, look back and found a great quote from Sports Illustrated's Pat Putnam, who speculated that Buster would last as long as a plate of tuna. In a sushi bar, Uh, obviously just one of the many great quotes before this fight. Can you give us some context on how big a news event this was in terms of just how it resonated around the world? It's one of the few. Where were you when you heard this news in sports in our lifetimes?
2: Well, yeah, there are very few, right? I mean, I'm 50. I think you're a little bit younger than me, Dave, so you might not have the same memories of, say, the Miracle on Ice. Now, we, we have sports memories, right? All of us, of our teams doing certain things. But, you know, in, in the U.S., you know, that's pretty regional. It's, it's pretty provincial. But in terms of the whole world, with one sports moment that kind of shocked everybody and made everybody stand up and pay attention. I guess there's some global soccer and arguably, I guess, cricket events like that. But as Americans, something that everybody, it seems, remembers where they were when it happened to me, it's, it's really just a miracle on ice. And I was 10 when that happened. And this, which took place uh, almost exactly 10 years later. And it was, Huge. It was a huge story and um it continued to be a big story for several days afterwards as Don King kind of fought the result along with Mike Tyson, I arguing mean, that had been a long count in the eighth round. But it was um it was uh you know uh, on a level an order of magnitude almost we can't compare anything that's happened the last twenty years in sports, uh actually inside the lines, that kind of moment. Um it was so shocking, so unexpected, and it was also, on top of all that, I wrote a book about another great heavyweight upset when Braddock beat Bear in 1935. That was a huge upset. That was about the backdrop of the Great Depression and what Jimmy Braddock had been through, but that was not a good fight. It was a lousy championship fight, and Max Bear didn't show up at all. This was an incredible... You watch this fight. It is is thrilling. It is a great 10 rounds, even as Buster is entirely dominating, and he gets up off the can- canvas in that eighth round after taking a shot that would have killed other men, I think. I mean, it- it's-, it's a prototypical, consummate Mike Tyson uppercut, which I- it's a miracle that he got up, that he got up no problem, and then he finishes him off. The next round, the ninth round, he pummels him, and in the tenth he finishes him off with a remarkable flurry, a series of combinations. It- it's-, it's still exciting. 30 years later, However, it was not the biggest thing that happened in the world 30 years ago today, February 11, 1990. I don't know if you guys are aware, but just a few hours after uh, Mike Tyson was knocked out by Buster Douglas, Nelson Mandela walked free for the first time in, uh, I think it was 26 years.
0: Holy cow, I did not know that.
2: I I think I, I thought you were going to
0: say Dominic Wilkins won the NBA <laughs> Slam Dunk Contest. I think it was also the same thing.
2: That was <laughs> yes, yes. What but a remarkable day! He walked out of what was it? Dick, I think Victor Burster Prison is where he had been for a few months, uh, if not a couple of years, um, after being moved off Robin Island, and and that was the day he was freed. It was a few hours after uh, the Tyson fight.
1: Jeremy, uh, I wanted to ask you about another project you worked on recently, um, and I haven't had a chance to check it out, but I know some of my buddies and former teammates were talking about it, about Drew Bledsoe, who was my quarterback in Buffalo for a couple years, awesome guy, incredibly generous guy. Uh, I guess I have two questions on that, Jeremy. One is, if you can talk about, you know, what was most interesting to you about your conversation with Drew, and also... When is the re-air? Because I got to DVR that. I want to watch it. Oh, that's a good I, question. I scrolled uh, through my, my cable thing today trying to look for when it's on again because I didn't know it was on the other night.
2: Um, I will get back to you on that, Ross. I'm not sure when the re-airs are. I know that it's, it's scheduled to run a lot. But it was was a lot of fun working on that project. And as you say, Drew is a generous guy. He's uh, a warm guy. He's got a great story to tell. He's obviously a very bright guy as well. And I think he was just at a place in his life in the last couple of years where he said, you know what, I'm ready to tell my story. And he really opened up to us. And I think um, a lot of people were moved by it. And it's kind of that big picture, right? You were with him in Buffalo where he was fantastic uh, that first year. And then he loses his job to J.P. Lossman. And then he goes to Dallas, and he loses his job to Tony Romo. And, of course, before either of those things took place, he lost his job most famously to Tom Brady in New England in 2001. And so here's this guy, right, who's arguably a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's certainly borderline Hall of Fame-type quarterback. When he retired, top ten all-time and all the meaningful statistics, might still be, uh, I think. And and yet when people think of him, they think of him as as this guy who – Lost his job to Brady. They might think of him also as the guy who lost his job to Romo, if they remember that. And is the guy who missed out on the dynasty, who was not present for it. But when you go back and you look at how remarkable that story is, you know he got them. He won two AFC title games. He got up off. Um, he, he got up and and won that championship game at Pittsburgh in 2001, which put them in that Super Bowl, which Brady would eventually win. And so. You know, my big question with with Drew was, you know, what is it like, you know, being this star, being this all pro and multi time pro bowler? And then, you know, when people think about you, they think of you as the guy who got Wally pipped, uh, if you want to put it that way, by, by Tom Brady. And how do you wrap your head around that? And how do you find peace? And he's found it. And, you know, it's through family and it's through applying himself to this wine business he has now, which is extremely successful. And he's just, um, you know, he's a guy who has, I think, uh, a lot of lessons uh, that are valuable for other people to hear. And it's not just about football.
0: E60, Drew Bledsoe, better with age, will re-air Sunday, February 16th at 1 a.m., 1 a.m. to 2 a.m. on ESPN (laughs) News. I am here for your ESPN promotions, Jeremy Schaap. Thank you. And while we have you, uh, I want to ask you about Bob Knight returning to Assembly Hall, first time in 20 years over the weekend. It was an emotional love fest in Indiana, surprising to some. And when a lot of people think of Bob Knight and his relationship with the media, they think of Jeremy Schaap. And this legendary ESPN interview, we have a quick clip.
2: And you have a real faculty for doing that. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. No, I don't think it's anything to really be too proud of myself. Uh, I think I, I when I talked say, Bob, about Pat... Bob, you came here to do an interview. I'm asking you questions. When I talked... It, well, then let me finish the okay. answer. Is that okay, go Jeremy? Ahead. Is that fair enough? Please go right Have ahead. I interrupted your questions yet? Yes. No, I haven't. You've interrupted my answers with your questions, and then I've tried to get back. So Please let me continue. finish this. you got a long way to go to be as good as your dad. You better keep that in mind. Uh, I uh, appreciate
0: it. Oh, the legendary... Bob Knight taking a shot at you. I thought you did an incredible job in that interview, but it seemed like the coverage over the weekend, Jeremy, was basically all glowing and embracing of Bob Knight and his legacy. There wasn't a whole lot
2: of discussion of
0: Bob the bully. How will you remember him?
2: Well, you know, actually on, on outside the lines, we were on uh, that morning, nine and 10, and
1: we did a round
2: table discussion about it. And there, Actually, I, I felt like I was the guy strangely enough, that position uh, who wasn't focusing on um, the negative, the bullying, the choking, and that's all there, the abusive behavior. But my my fellow panelists, uh, I guess it was Ryan Smith and Jen Latta and Will Kane, they they were certainly talking about it. Look, I I think um, Bob Knight will be remembered as one of the great basketball coaches of all time. Um, He'll also be remembered as somebody who came to stand for a lot more than basketball or sports he was a symbol of a certain way of thinking a certain kind of tough love he was the biggest figure in the state of Indiana for two or three decades he wasn't just a basketball coach so he touched um he touched a lot of people he touched a lot of raw nerves he was certainly a, a bully um, he he certainly did things that there's no way he would be be able to get away with today and last as long as he did. Uh but having that moment at Assembly Hall, you know what I thought? I thought that was moving and it was touching. You could see the genuine emotion there. And of course it wasn't Indiana that didn't want him back all this time. It was Bob who would not return after having right. been fired on September tenth, uh, the year two thousand. So, you know what? I I think the lesson from the weekend was um you know, don't don't let these things go go on too long because uh I, I think Bob would have enjoyed um being back in the embrace of that crowd a long time ago. He didn't have to wait this long.
0: Yeah, complicated legacy indeed. I had one interaction with Bob Knight after an Oklahoma basketball game, I asked him why Lloyd Noble was so difficult to play in, and he and he just went off on me, saying if it if it were a 12- or a 15-foot basket, then it would be hard to play there. At the time, OU had won 40 straight home games, and then he walked out of the press conference, and that was my one legendary uh, interaction Wait, with was Bob. Was he at Indiana Foley. or
2: Texas Tech? Texas Tech. Well, what... He, what year was that? Do You remember what year that was, Dave? I don't. I feel like I but man, at that game. Me. <laughs> anyway. have been at that
0: press conference. Bob's a legend. The general back in the community there in Indiana is good. Jeremy Schapp, awesome to have you on the program, my friend. Check him out on Outside the Lines e sixty again. re-airs the sixteenth, one a.m. ESPN News and check out forty two to one. Get yourself on ESPN Plus. It's incredible. Jeremy, good to talk to you, my friend. Thank you.